Well, the culture has shifted in many ways for many of us. Culture has changed. So the story I'm about to tell you, the true story, but you might laugh and that's probably a good reaction because we all laugh and we tell it in our home. But it's indicative that the culture has shifted when it comes to Sabbath, Lord's Day. So my dad, uh, he's now 77 years old. When he was a boy, his favorite hobby was to draw tractors. Okay, so uh, he grew up in a home, six kids on a farm, didn't have a lot of things to play with except for uh, tractors and welders. But if he wasn't doing that, it was drawing tractors. And my dad, if you ever get to meet him, um, he, he writes and draws with such fine precision. It's like an ant walked across the page. But so intricate. These tractors are so intricate. The details. So if you know an AW6 or a double five four, if you know those things, you just look at it. It's like, it's like International Harvester themselves drew it. That's his hobby. So every evening he'd come in from the farm or come home from school and he would draw tractors. Except one day, it was a Sunday afternoon. And he said to my grandmother, his mum, he said, Mum, can I draw some tractors this afternoon? And she said, no, no, son, it's the Sabbath, but you can draw a Bible van. And we laugh every time we tell our story. When grandmother, when grandma was alive, like she, she would have a chuckle herself. Because they grew up in a culture where, for the grinters, for the farmers that they were, you down tools on a Sabbath, it doesn't matter if it's harvest, it doesn't matter if tomorrow there's a storm coming and all will be lost. You just did not work on a Sabbath. You didn't work on the Sunday. They understood, of course, because we have cousins who are dairy farmers. The cows need to be milked because then things go wrong, as far as I understand, with dairy cows if you don't milk them. In a, so, and we understand, of course, shift workers. My mum, for I actually don't know how many years it was, but all her life was a nurse and midwife. And because she, with my dad, were raising us, she spent a lot of her life on shift work at night time and sometimes that meant Sundays, so she couldn't get to church with us. So I understand shift workers, absolutely. I understand farmers and the pressures and different types of farming. But I think what we're going to see this morning is more than just a bunch of rules. And we'll see Jesus, his ruler, we'll actually see we're given a gift in the Sabbath that I think we often in our society, because the culture has shifted, don't receive it with joy. We see it as a burden or something to be avoided. And I think that's actually at our detriment. The idea of Sabbath that we just read about, Jesus is talking about it here in Mark's Gospel, the idea of Sabbath is almost a foreign concept for our society. I'm talking about the wider society, outside the church. Because our society in this part of the world has come to believe we don't exist unless we're working now, there's a philosopher, his name is Descartes. I don't know if you've heard of him. He came up with a maxim, I think, therefore I am. So he went through in his ph- philosophical thinking, why do I, do I exist? Am, am I just a, like if you've seen the movie Matrix? Am I kind of a digital representation of myself? Why do I exist? He didn't have the movie Matrix in his day, but he comes up with this maxim, I think, therefore I am. That's why I exist. But I think our society has turned it into, I work, therefore I am. And so we go to parties and social events or Christmas with the wider family. And it's, what do you do for a job? Is one of the first questions we ask. 
and we gauge each other on it. And we do the humble brag. How are you going? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Which is almost code for, like, when I hear that, I think, I don't want to ask anything more because I feel like I'm making your life harder just by asking a question. So I perhaps want to ask you because you're too busy to perhaps, you're too busy for me. You see, it, the culture, it's not just, it's not just what we believe on paper, it's the culture of us has changed. And sadly, the concept of Sabbath, the word Sabbat means rest, the concept of rest, of restorative rest, is neglected even in the church, friends. Where we can't even let ourselves not work on the Sabbath. We've got to catch up, constantly catch up, constantly perform, constantly compete. And friends, I want to say at the start, I feel this too. Look, I'm a minister, right? What, what do I do on Sundays? A lot of stuff. We got people sick this morning, so I, I put myself on barista and I put myself on welcome desk and I'm thinking, well, you know, what, what else? I'm happy to do that, but I'm also preaching and leading and pastoring people. And all afternoon, I'm here usually till 3 p.m. until the last person leaves with their pastoral questions and need for prayer. And then we gear up again for gather prayer. I get it, right? I understand what it's like. And then I understand what it's like to feel so behind, constantly behind. There's so much in the life of our church that if you ask our session, our elders, we just feel like we haven't been able to focus on the good things, the things we want to get going. Because there's so much we're doing constantly in other areas and we feel constantly behind. And the temptation is to never rest. Particularly for me. Do you feel that? My day was meant to be Friday. If you received emails from me on a Friday recently, which some of you have, you must be asking, what is Russ doing? Not resting. And so I hear this. I'm speaking to me before I speak to we. And the result is, and here's what I notice about me, us, is that we're burning out and blaming everyone else, but neglecting to see the grace of the Lord's provision for us of rest. We neglect the rhythm of work and rest, and it's wrecking us. And Jesus says, I've come to restore us. Today's episode of Mass Gospel, we're going to see this, and I want to say, look, I've done something, I've broken my own I don't know, rule, culture, value system. I made up a word. Um, my kids know that I hate, do- I should hate a strong word. You know, I dislike, strongly dislike Dr. Zeus, right? And they have a, a shelf of Dr. Zeus. And so every, every night time is bed- bedtime reading, hey, Dad, read Dr. Zeus. I'm like, ah, and I'm reading, it's like, you know, they're made up words. They're not real words. He just makes us stuff to rhyme. That's not hard to do. I could do that and sell books, have a side hustle. So I don't like the whole made up word thing. I know words came out of making up words. We had to describe something, but we used to use that to describe actual things. Anyway, got that off my chest. Very therapeutic. But I showed Amy last night, I said, here's my sermon title. And she said, you made up a word. And you don't like Dr. Zeus. She said, don't put that in the sermon. So I won't. Um, I made up a word. The title of the sermon is, Jesus is ruler and rester. He's ruler 
and he is rester. He's the giver of rest, would have been a better way to say it, but oh well, it wasn't alliteration, here we go. And today we see, as we ask this constant question that Mark's gospel gets us to ask, it's the key question that comes up in chapter 8 in the middle of this gospel, we'll get there at Easter, who is this? Who is this? Well, he is ruler and rester, and we see that particularly as Jesus himself engages face-to-face, close quarters, almost, well, combat, but it's conflict, with the rule keepers of the day. The rule keepers, the Pharisees, the religious rulers. And this has lots for us right now today. There's three things at the end we really can go deeply into see what it means for us when it comes to the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. As we do, we need to ask this implicit question. So if you miss everything in the middle of this sermon, which is possible, if you miss it and I just don't communicate it well enough, the key question is this for you today. Is Jesus Lord of your Sabbath? Is Jesus Lord of your Sabbath, of your rest? Now, maybe you've never thought about Sabbath before, and this word seems so foreign and religious. What does it mean? It literally means, Sabbat means to rest. Rest. And Jesus shows us why that rest was made in that very first scene. You see verse 23? There's a scene here, and Jesus is teaching us why the rest was made. Verse 23, it's on a Sabbath. He was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now, for Jews, and those disciples are Jews, the Sabbath was a Saturday, end of the week, the last day of the week, celebrating the rest that God had designed for humanity at the beginning of his creation. God had created, he had worked for six days, on the seventh he rested, designed for Adam and Eve to rest in God. In other words, for God to so to speak, put down tools, but for Adam and Eve to put down tools, to put down the stewarding tools of the garden and to rest in the grace and righteousness of God, to rest with him. Two, Westminster Shorter Catechism question one, glorify God and enjoy him forever. But it was also commanded, did you notice, in our cross-reference reading. Why, did you notice? So we know that it's, it, the, the Sabbath is commanded, it's there for us to rest because we rest in God. But we see in Deuteronomy 5, why are they to rest? Why are the Jews, why is God's people, Israel, to rest? Because of this, Deuteronomy 5 verse 15, you shall remember, remember this, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Remember that. In other words, you weren't just there kind of like, you know, your day job was like moving some bricks, um, and then you went home and uh, you rested nicely by the fire. You played tennis on Saturdays and got to do whatever you wanted. No, 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 no. Remember, you were slaves. You did not own your time. It wasn't your time. It wasn't your evenings. It wasn't your mornings. It wasn't your days, your Saturdays, your Sabbaths. You were owned like someone else and you were slaves to them. And the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand now stretched arm. In other words, he saved you from slavery. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see this? The Sabbath rest reminded God's people. We're a saved people. We're a saved and meant to be resting people. Because what is the future of our salvation that is to come? As Brendan prayed in the pastoral prayer, it's rest forever. That's the future. The Sabbath 
and the Lord's Day. What we're doing here, church, is a, a trailer, a movie trailer, a snippet, a preview of heaven to come. Now, depending how you think about church, you might be thinking, oh, oof, like this constantly, forever? Well, it's this bigger picture than that. Read Revelation. We'll get there one day soon when we are preaching. But it's resting. A day to regather for God's people. The Sabbath was meant to be a day. We put down the hammer, put down the plough, put down the writing tablet and rest. But here are Jesus' disciples. And what are they doing? They're plucking heads of wheat as they made their way. Why are they doing this? Well, really, it's first century version of fast food. It's drive through for the disciples. You know, can't afford to come and bake some stuff. Let's drive through the wheat, literally, and on we go. Got ourselves a bit of a, you know, happy meal. And that's what they're doing. It's fast food. But is it wrong? Is it wrong? Well, thanks be to God, we have the Bible, 66 books, very comprehensive, very cohesive. All God's word and Deuteronomy 23 says this. Deuteronomy 23 verse 25. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand and you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So you can pluck the ears, just not allowed to cut the whole thing down. All right? Makes sense. It's not yours. But have some fast food. It's fine. But the Pharisees have got a problem with this, verse 24, because they're saying to Jesus, look, what they're doing is unlawful. Pharisees love saying things are unlawful. Why? Because their whole thing is law. Find me the law, give me the law, I'll make up the law, and, and if I do that, then I'm better than you. The Pharisees are asserting that doing that is definitely work and not lawful on the Sabbath. They're saying that, they're breaking the law. And the law for the Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments, giving to God's people, Israel, after he'd saved them out of Egypt. Notice this. I think Christians often confuse. Um, unhelpful preaching teaches us that the Old Testament, well, God's kind of not a God of grace. He's a God of law. And then we assume, therefore, that the New Testament, he's a God of grace. But in the Old Testament, he's just about the law. Totally wrong. Jesus would say, he'd want a word with those preachers, have you not read? The Old Testament, the New Testament, is all about grace. God's people, Israel, don't obey the law to get in with God. They're already in because he saved them by grace. What did they do to get themselves out of Egypt? Nothing but complain. Their only contribution to getting themselves out of Egypt into the promised land was to whinge the whole way. That was their contribution. Helpful. Not God's point is, I saved you. you. You could do nothing. All you could do is cry out in Egypt. I saved you all by grace. They don't obey the law to get in with God. They're already in by grace. Why are they to obey the law? Because that's how they love. Jesus summarizes the law and says, it's love. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a lot to remember. Right? So, God, knowing our creaturely limitations, gives us 10 in the Decalogue. Half of it, roughly, is about loving God. And the other half is roughly about loving others, our neighbours. 
Think about it. Don't murder. Why is that a loving thing to do? Because murdering is an unloving thing to do. Pretty simple. But we have creature limitations. We go, well, that's, that's you know, 10. 10, yeah, 10 is good. So Jesus comes along and says, I can summarize it in two. Love God, love your neighbor. The law is for love. It's not to earn God's favor or get in with God. We try and obey the law to love, even with our creaturely and sinful limitations. But here's the thing. Do we do it perfectly? Anyone here obeyed the law of love perfectly? No. So what needs to happen? The one of love himself, love personified, comes down, becomes a man and dies on a cross for sinful people who can't obey the law. He fulfills the law in his obedience, his perfect obedience. He fulfills the law for us. So that we can then end. Now, as we wait for his return or wait to meet him, we can, well, I want to love others, but I don't do this perfectly, but thanks be to God I've got Jesus. You see? So the Pharisees constantly get this wrong. Because they think you fulfill a law and then you get in with God, you're accepted by God. They think if we just don't do any work on the Sabbath, everyone will be in God's favor. But the one who actually made the Sabbath is about to speak about why it was made. Jesus is the one who made the Sabbath. And Jesus says, one of the favorite Jesus sayings, he says to Pharisees, religious rulers, people who know their Old Testament, right? He says to them, have you not read? That's like saying to a mechanic, have you never pulled apart an engine? It actually is their problem. They haven't read. Like they've read the words, but they've actually never understood what it's saying. We read earlier, 1 Samuel 21, David and his men were in need. That need was met on the Sabbath. And the point Jesus is making is that grace is greater than ceremonial law. The ministry of mercy is more important than a rule to run over people with. For the law was given by God to promote rest and relationships, but it's sinful people who use the law as a restrictive burden. And Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath and Jesus rules it. And why does he rule it, friends? He rules it so you can rest. Jesus comes to change your life, not just give it a facelift. Humanity is not meant to be restricted by rules, but shown the rules, a law of love, and God has given us in the Sabbath this way in which we can rest to understand his love, his saving love, who gives us rest. And Jesus, the ruler of the rules, is also the rester because he's Lord of the Sabbath. But the Pharisees turned this into a burden. So, as Jesus has given us the why of the Sabbath, then he gives us what's it for. And here we see, in the next episode, exactly what the Sabbath is for. Have a look with me. Have a look in chapter 3, verse 1. He enters a synagogue. So it's like, it's, it's their Lord's Day. The gathering of God's people, gathered worship. He enters a synagogue. It's like he's entered into a church service. And a man was there with a withered hand. In the church service, there's someone there with a withered hand. Now, Jesus is not picking for a fight. He's not itching for it. It's not him that starts this conflict. Notice what happens. What are they doing? 
They're all watching Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They're sitting there watching. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And they're ready to set their trap. Do you know what they want him to do? They want Jesus to break the law so they can put him to death for breaking that law. But the Pharisees and the other religious rulers, it's actually not the law of God they're actually concerned about. See, the Pharisees and other religious rulers have actually added to the law. Pharisees were famous for this. They actually weren't primarily concerned about God's law. That's where it started. But to, to, to just so that didn't actually break God's law, what they would do next is they would put their extra laws around the law. Extra laws. So added laws made up by them so that if they crossed those laws before they crossed God's law, well, that would be a problem. And so the, the added laws became more and more and more for them Human traditions that Jesus calls this later, we know this from the Mishnah, a written account of these added laws, what was forbidden by the religious rulers of their day. Here it is, I quote to you. Here's what the Pharisees added to God's law about the Sabbath. Here's what you're not permitted to do on the Sabbath. He who sows, he who plows, reaps, binds, sheaves, threshes, winnows, selects fruit, Grinds, sifts, bakes, shears wool, washes it, beats it, washes it, spins, weaves, makes two loops, weaves two threads, separates two threads, ties, unties, sews two stitches, tears in order to sew two stitches, traps a deer, slaughters the deer, flails the deer, salts the deer, cures the deer, scrapes it, cuts it up. He who writes two letters, he who erases two letters, He who builds, he who tears down. He who puts out a fire, he who kindles a fire. He who hits with a hammer, he who transports an object from one domain to another. (laughs) To that sort of thing, Jesus says, Mark 7 verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And there is not one verse, command or inference in Scripture that says we are not to do good on the Sabbath. Westminster Confession sums up what the Bible says. We are to do good. Mercy ministries on the Sabbath. That's what it's for. And so what the religious rulers have done by adding to the law is to actually take away from the authority of God's word. There's an old saying. Gospel plus, you add anything to the gospel, is gospel minus. You actually take away from the gospel. You add anything to God's law, you've taken away from God's law. And that's what they've done. And they make it up themselves, making it up along the way. God's law is good. What is God's law for? It's summed up in this word, it's love. But that is what is lacking for the Pharisees, is love. The Sabbath was not meant to be a burden, but a blessing. Even today, we in our devotion to work, doing what we want for ourselves, we can actually neglect God's law of loving others, can't we? Think on this. Can you imagine being a slave in Egypt? The son and daughter of slaves for hundreds of years, 
and then being rescued from slavery and commanded by God to take a break and rest up one day a week and have some holidays each year. And then can you imagine grumbling about that? Oh, God doesn't, he just wants me to rest. He wants me to stop working on the Sabbath. He wants me to not have a holiday and have a take it easy rest time. What a, what a terrible God he is. Can you imagine that? Jesus asks them now his own provocative question. Is it lawful? Verse 4, he said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm, to save life or to kill? That's a great question. What's their answer? It's deafening, isn't it? The silence is deafening. Of course the answer is to do good. That's what the Sabbath is for. It's resting in God alone and his good work that is shaped by that rest. But the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious rulers have added so many rules to the law of God. Their man-made rules overwhelm what God has given us. The law was given to protect life and relationships such as marriage and family and property and the poor and a guide in how we relate to God who saved us. The law was meant to enrich our relationships established by God's saving grace. The law was never meant as a way of getting right with God. And these legalists don't get it. And they don't even answer Jesus' question. They're so hard-hearted. And you see this? They would rather seethe in silence than care and show compassion. To do good would not violate God's Old Testament law. And Jesus is so grieved by their hardness of heart. He looks at them. And he's deeply distressed by their enslavement. Jesus is angered by their stubborn sin. He is angry that they would rather stick to their own made-up rules for their own self-righteousness than encourage compassion on those who need help. And so Jesus says to the man with the same words of power that he created the universe, with the same words of power that he created that man's hand, that same person says to that man, stretch it out. He speaks, and there is a recreation, a new creation for that man's hand. And his hand is restored. Jesus is taking their self-righteousness and hard-heartedness to the next level by doing this in the most public place of all, the Sabbath, the synagogue, the gathering. The Sabbath was made for the regathering and rest of God's people, for people to come and be restored. Not for people to come and bite and devour one another and accuse one another and hit out at one another and hurt one another, not to harm one another, but to come and be restored by one another, by God himself. The silence is deafening because it's a deathly silence, isn't it? Literally it is. Do you see how deathly their silence is? Verse 6. This is the deathliness of this silence. Because the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. From this moment on, Mark's gospel quickly progresses because the conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus escalates. 
because they will not have a bar of him. He's too gracious. He's too kind. He's too compassionate. He's too gentle and lowly. The Pharisees, these religious zealots, then meet with the Herodians. Now, if you don't really know what that means, the Pharisees are people that, well, they love law, supposedly, in their self-righteousness, presenting to the world that they love God. So they're all about religion. The Herodians are like politicians. They're secularists. They don't really believe in God. They're not about God. They're about the, the Jewish state now, Herod the king. And in the context, the Pharisees and the Herodians hate each other. They hate each other. They're like two ends of a political spectrum against each other. There's no bipartisanship here, except when it comes to killing Jesus. That's a policy we can all agree on. Mr. Speaker, I agree. I want to second that motion. We go and kill Jesus. The Pharisees and Herodians who hate each other are now together, plotting and teaming up. Isn't it great how Jesus brings people together? Because that's the irony here, isn't it? But there's more irony. You see this? The Pharisees want to see if Jesus breaks the law of Sabbath, right? So they might accuse him and destroy him, so they might kill him. Jesus questioned, which is right to do on the Sabbath, to, to do good or to kill? Do you see the irony? They're using their Sabbath to go and plot and accuse against someone. That's how they're using their rest day, their Lord's day. Wow. Can you imagine using your Sabbath day rest to plan how to get rid of someone? If you need to combine forces with the opposition against Jesus, what does that say about Jesus now? Jesus is someone to be reckoned with. They're afraid. Like they're striking out with anger, accusation, slander, attack, plotting to destroy him. Why? Because they are fearful of Jesus. They're afraid of him. And the growing opposition to Jesus sees him rejecting old Israel and calling the new Israel the new people of God. And so now the question comes before us. Are you going to be with the old? Are you going to be with the Pharisees, those who want religion and man-made law, who want to find their righteousness in keeping the rules, or will you find rest and righteousness in the ruler and rester who's Jesus? So that's where that question comes now as we finish. Is Jesus Lord of your Sabbath? The religious of that society could not get past their own rules to see what relationship with God could look like. It's beautiful. It's gracious. It's provided to have rest. And what God is like is standing in front of them. He's there, showing compassion to a man with a withered hand on the Lord's day. He's there in the synagogue, standing there, present with them, Right in that moment, Jesus is regathering and restoring his people so we can rest in him forever, starting now. Jesus transforms the Sabbath. Literally, he does. 
Because when Jesus dies on the cross, which remember on that Good Friday, and rises again when? On the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. You'll notice this in the New Testament. From then on, the church gathers to worship on what day? Sunday. The first day of the week. We call it, it's on the front of your service sheet, the Lord's Day. Every day is the Lord's Day, of course. But it's the Lord's Because we remember, like Israel had to remember, we were saved from being slaves in Egypt. So now we get to rest. What does the Lord say? If you hear that phrase, the Lord say, it's not meant to be a burden of rule. Oh, now I've got to rest. I've got to stop doing some work this afternoon so I can catch up and compete with my workmates. No, it's meant to be this. The Lord's Day. Now I get to rest. I get to rest. I get to go to be with God's people and hear the gospel preached into my heart so I would believe it with all the struggles and, and, and wrestlings I have and anxiety of this week. I get to hear Jesus again with God's people who are also being restored like me. And then I get to spend the afternoon feasting and hospitality and resting with them to go back to gathered prayer and pray for the gospel to go to the nations. I get to rest today. So why would you want to pick up your work this afternoon just so you can compete and catch up? Friends, that's a burden you do not need to bear anymore. Reforming Church, imagine what life would be like if we had those rhythms of work and rest shaped by the grace of Christ. Three things. Firstly, the Lord's Day is for our rest and joy in Jesus together. We get to gather as God's rescued people. So whatever your work is during the week, you actually get to put it aside and come and rest. And that's not a law, and if you break it, you know, something bad's going to happen to you, or God is displeased. It's given to you by grace. Because I can tell you from experience, but the Bible shows us from God's word, if you just keep using the Lord's Day as a workday catch-up, it's actually not good for you. You'll burn out. And a temptation is to blame other things. I burn out because I've got to go to church in the morning for a couple of hours. That's not why you're burning out, friends. It's not. Don't blame what God has given. Please don't do that. Yes, we require servants here, and I was almost going to be the barista today. You should be worried. But let me say this. It would be okay if we didn't have coffee, wouldn't it? We'd, we'd survive. We really would. I'm just, Hug the person next to you if that's really a struggle. It would be okay if we didn't have kids' church leaders today. It, it would be loud and chaotic. It would be okay if I went down sick and another elder or another man in our church was preaching. We'd be okay. And we really would be better and okay if we just actually rested and gathered and use the Lord's Day for good and for others. I know shift workers have to shift work. My mum did it all her life. But if you are not a shift worker, please don't pretend to be one. Because shift workers don't shift work because they love it. Ask them. They're like, you know what, I love just missing out on all the fun and the holidays and Christmases because I've got to work a shift. They don't do it because they, they love it. If you're not a shift worker, don't pretend to be one. The reason we rest, the lesson of the law is for the good of our life. We're not meant to work like slaves. 
went to work like rescued people in restful rhythms, simply by enjoying God and his people on the Lord's day. Secondly, which takes us to the second thing, we are blessed to be a blessing to one another. It's really easy to pretend, isn't it, face value with our lives, everything's fine. I got asked this morning, how are you? I get so used to saying, I'm well. Now, I should say that if I am, and if I've got some terrible sickness that's contagious, perhaps I shouldn't. But it's deeper than that, isn't it? We're so used to saying, I'm all good when we're not, or I'm all right when I'm not. I might need God's people, the Lord himself, to do some restoration in me. And where do I need to be for that to happen? Here, with you. We are blessed to be a blessing for one another, to encourage one another. We come to the gathering like that man with a withered hand to be loved and helped. And thirdly, that means, what is the Sabbath for, for the New Testament church? What is it for? Well, what does Jesus do on the Sabbath? Answers this question. What does he do on the Sabbath? And you can use one word to describe it. Ministry. Jesus ministers to others on the Sabbath. He does ministry. Jesus taught on the Sabbath. He discipled others. What am I doing here? I I think in the last 10, 15 years, this is a church plant. Church planting has become something it should not have been. It became, who is the entrepreneur? Who's the person who can put on the good show? Innovate with all sorts of crazy things happening. And we miss the very words of Jesus. What would Jesus say to a church planter or to a church? What is the primary job? What are we doing here? What am I doing here for 40 minutes? Jesus, I'm actually listening to Jesus' command because he says, feed my sheep. You are his sheep. I'm his sheep. That's what we're meant to be doing. And so some people's ministry will be feeding the sheep. Others' ministry will be uh, giving meals and, and, and caring for the sheep, listening to the sheep, praying with the sheep, teaching the sheep's lambs in kids' church. We minister to one another. Jesus taught to the disciples. He discipled others, served in ministries of mercy, and we can too. We can come and rest by God's grace and minister to one another. I just want to highlight this, friends. Every week, we leave this building. There's two gatherings a day, gathered worship in the morning, gathered prayers, really small, but we pray it might grow. Every week, We walk at those doors. It's very easy and tempting to do this. I've done this. I'm the chief of sinners here. This is a confession. And this building is trashed. Like there are grapes squashed into the floor. Like someone's tobogganed over the food. There's chairs on top of tables. Like I don't know what happened there. There's rooms where just there's just like we need to repaint. Now, I'm not saying that because we're not, we're not cranky about it, but here's my point. Do you know that when you came in this morning, look how clean it is? Why? We don't pay anyone to do that, but because many of the members are on the cleaning roster, on the cleaning team, and they came in and they scraped the grapes off the floor, been there a week, they cleaned the toilets, put the chairs back, swept and washed one of the biggest floors in Bendigo, it feels like. And they did that to minister to you, to one another, so that we can have a Sabbath 
arrest together. Reforming Church, you do this, and I am so encouraged. But you don't do it to encourage me. Well, that's, that's one reason. You do it as you serve the Lord, as you remember you were slaves of sin and death. But Jesus has saved us to then rest in him and serve one another. It's a beautiful thing. And if you're interested in membership and being part of that beauty, talk to us later. But we do that as we minister to one another. We're led in song. We're serving morning tea. Because the Sabbath was made for man and woman, for us, humanity. And the Son of Man, Jesus, Lord of that Sabbath, and he wants his people to gather and rest and be restored. So what about you? Friends, if you've been thinking about your Sabbath, your rest, your Lord's days, you have the opportunity of a lifetime right now for a restored life by enjoying God and the rhythms of Lord's Day Sabbath rest. Don't let your life wither up without Jesus. That's what happened to the Pharisees in the end. They were so enslaved to their own rules, their own standards, they couldn't see the one who would free them. The same God who freed people from slavery in Egypt is now saving you from sin and slaves and condemns you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Because Jesus is now saying to each one of us, stretch out your hand and find rest in me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have heard Jesus' words that he is Lord of the Sabbath, he is ruler and rester, he gives us rest. We are grateful. And so we pray now as we, in our gathered worship, rest in him. We're asking that we would now sing in celebration of him, of who he is and how much we need him. For we do. And we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' restful name. Amen.